first did you? <laughs> I shared that because this is the reality of life. We want to be happy. But when I listen to the song, I feel like I'm a dog chasing my tail. Like, I want to be happy, 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 happy. But like, like when, I, when, I, when, I, when I just, when I get about to grab it, it, it just always eludes me. I can never quite get the happiness, right? And it's a fun song that's got some beat. But this is what, we all want it. But then we don't experience it. And I think 2,000 years ago, Jesus gathered a group of people up on the hillside and be preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he's like, there is a pathway to happiness, a blessing, a highway to happiness. This, this thing called the biblical idea of blessing. You can be a happy person and live a happy life, and here is the unexpected journey towards happiness and, and a perspective on the journey. And so Jesus has been talking here in Matthew chapter 5. It's his first recorded sermon, and, and Matthew, who is one of the guys that traveled with Jesus, recorded this gospel for us so that we 2,000 years later can, can learn about Jesus. And he says, here's what Jesus said is the highway to happiness. Matthew chapter 5. It says in verse 1, when he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them by saying. So it's this group of, of disciples. He's sitting on the hillside there in the grass. You can imagine this very kind of agrarian scene. And, and he's like, guys, this is how you can be happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Doesn't sound like a happy thing to be poor in spirit. But it's like, when you understand your emptiness, then God can fill you up. You can discover, you know, the, the, the kingdom of heaven, the, the perspective of living life under God's authority and under his care. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The people that understand that I, I'm a sinner and, and, and I've, I've failed to measure up to God's standard. And I live in a sinful world, but when I acknowledge that, then God brings comfort to me and then I can bring comfort to others. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are teachable, who are humble, who are gentle, who don't have to be in control, who, who can just ride with it and discover God's, God's care in their life and aren't worried and always trying to get ahead, the meek. He says in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. If you were here last week, we talked about all the hungers we have, the appetites that we want to fill in life, but God says, this is the one appetite that will really fill you up when you discover what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then as he kind of continues on, he says, these are attitudes, and now there's a perspective that actually is something that, that translates into action, and that's what we find in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I had an older brother, and um, this is typical older siblings thing. They would come along to the younger sibling and say, let's play that game, that mercy game. Yeah, what a great idea. A younger sibling, you think that's a great idea. You never win the game, but you say, oh, sure, you know, and then you grab your hands, whatever it is, or, you know, you're wrestling until finally, mercy, mercy, or if he's got his head around your neck, you're tapping his leg, and, and you know, the older siblings think it's a great game. Younger siblings never, but, but you play as mercy, mercy. So I don't know if you're thinking about that when you think of the merciful, because they'll be received mercy. Um, in, in that game, the merciful didn't get mercy. It was the, it was the other way around, but we wonder, what does it mean to be merciful? Um, Stott would say that mercy is compassion for people in need. Or as France would say it, mercy is not an emotion, but a practical response to need. So it's, it's, it's I'm, I'm seeing something, I'm feeling something, but then I'm actually doing something about it. You know what, that kid that's getting bullied in school, it's not merciful for you to walk by and say, oh, poor kid, and then just keep walking. Mercy is stopping and actually helping them in, in that situation. That's 
Mercy. Mercy is you pulling over when you see that person trying to change their tire and, and you know, they don't really know what, what they're doing with these you know, different mechanical implements and you, you get out there and you help them. That's it's a practical response to need. Utley would say it's the ability to put oneself in another situation and act with compassion. They actually care. I, I would, you know, if I was in that situation, I'd want someone to help me. Um, or as uh, Tony Evans would say, mercy uh, can be defined as compassion for someone in need. It involves reducing, removing, or relieving someone's distress. Okay, so you know, I'm giving you some, just some pithy statements here, but let me just put into words that Jesus would describe. This is what it means to be a merciful person. One of this, this guy came to Jesus once and asked him, you know, what are the greatest commandments? He was, you know, some religious guy, you know, and Jesus like, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's like, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, well, let me tell you who your neighbor is. And so a guy's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's like this steep road through these, you know, narrow canyons, and he gets, encounters some bandits, gets mugged, beaten up. He's bloody, lying at the side of the road. There he is. And, um, this is near the end of the story. But first of all, before this guy gets there, a priest shows up. The religious elite of the day walks by, sees the guy, and keeps going. In fact, crosses by. Now, he's coming down from Jerusalem. So he's done his religious duty. He's going back probably to his house in Jericho, and he's going down. He sees this guy. He's like, whoa, not my problem. And he just keeps going by. A Levite comes along. This is one of the workers in the temple, and they're kind of the, the blue-collar guys that are doing the religious duty. This guy should be able to, to provide support, and then he just keeps walking by. And then along comes this Samaritan, which you got to understand in the first century, uh, you know, there was animosity between the pure Jews and Samaritans who were of mixed blood. Uh, they weren't really friendly with each other and, and didn't respect each other. And so for Jesus to insert a Samaritan in this story was, it was a bit of a shocker, right? The Samaritan comes along. He stops. He bandages the guy. He, he provides some, some oil for him and, and, and you know, drink. And then he, he puts him on his donkey, takes him down to the, you know, to the inn and, 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 and pays for his care and says, look, I'm coming back. And if I, if I, if you, if I owe any more, I'll pay it out. So, so he's showing you know, what it means to be merciful. And then he ends the story, Luke 10, verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think became a neighbor to the man who fell to the hand of the robbers? And the expert in the religious law said, the one who showed mercy. So Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Do, do you see what mercy is there? Mercy is stopping. It's, it's, it's interrupting my schedule. It's changing my plans. It's using my own resources to help the person in need. It's taking my oil, putting, putting him on my donkey, taking him down, paying for his, his, his lodging and his care. And ensuring that, 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 that he's looked after till I come back, mercy is active. And Jesus says, go and do the same. So mercy is not just your feeling. We all have that, right? All that poor, you know, stray cat or, you know, those poor kids or those poor this or the poor that, but then it doesn't move to action. It's not mercy. That's just feelings of emotion, feelings of pity. Mercy takes a step and does something. The priest probably felt sorry for the guy, but he didn't, not sorry enough to stop. Same with the Levite, but the Samaritan actually stops, and Jesus says, go and do the same. But let's go back to the verse. Blessed are the merciful. He's not describing a one-time action here. 
Like, oh, I, I acted mercifully once. I, I did it, I, you know, I, I checked that box. I'm done being merciful. I, I looked after, you know, I, I picked up a stray kitten and I adopted it. Yeah, I'm, I'm merciful. No, no, this is a habitual pattern and practice of life. The person who consistently extends mercy to the people around them, they are the ones who will be shown mercy. James Montgomery Boyce says this, mercy is love reaching out to help those who are helpless and who need salvation. Mercy identifies with the miserable in their misery. I mean, they, they get it. And J. Dwight Pentecost would say, mercy is God's loving grace in action. So the New Testament will talk about mercy. And they'll, they'll put it in the context of salvation. That, that what we experience from God, the forgiveness of our sins and the brought into his forever family is an act of God's mercy. You see this in Titus 3, verse 4. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, that is Jesus, of course, he saved us, not by the works of righteousness that we had done, but on the basis of his mercy. You see that? Not what you did. Now, you might have grown up in a church that taught you that you need to do these things. If you want to get right with God, you have to fulfill these requirements and, and do this and keep doing this. And, you know, and, and Titus would say, no, 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 no. Just on the basis of his mercy. And it, the verse continues. Through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us in full measure through Jesus Christ our Savior. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus. He's describing their salvation. And, and before verse 4, he talks about you guys were dead. You were going nowhere. You were objects of God's wrath. I mean, your, your sin was a barrier between you and God. And, and there was nothing you could do about it. But then in verse 4, he says, but God, being rich in mercy. See that? Because of his great love with which he loved us even though you were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Not anything you did, but because of his mercy. He looks down and sees us in our desperate situation and meets us. That's why he sent Jesus down to this earth, to, to meet us at our point of need and help us along this journey, which we call life. I was reading this story by Robinson. He talked about this guy in Oklahoma. Came from a poor family, illiterate people, and he got involved with some wrong guys and, and got in, did some criminal activity and got caught, thrown in jail. It was an embarrassment to the whole family, the community, and, and he just lived in this shame, and, and he never heard from his family. And he's sitting in, in prison. He's like, how do they feel about me? It's coming, coming time to, his, to, to be released. He had served his full time, and he's like, well, what, what's going to happen? So he writes a letter to his family, and, and, and he doesn't know if they're going to write back or have any response, but he says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm coming by. I'm on the train. The train goes right through our town, and I'm, I'm watching. If you want me to come home, would you just put a white ribbon on the apple tree? And I'll know. If I see the ribbon, I'll come home. If there's no ribbon, I'll just keep going by. So he's riding this train. And it's getting closer to the town. And, and, and you know, he, he sees the sign, and he can see the town in the distance. He's in the window seat. He's like, I can't sit in the window seat. I just, I can't handle it. So he moves, and, and then changes, and he tells the passenger, can you just watch? We're going to get into town, and about, you know, a quarter mile in, there's going to be, you know, a yard there, and there's going to be an apple tree. And I want you to watch that apple tree, because this is the story. He, he tells the whole situation. He's like, if there's a ribbon there, then, then I'm coming home. 
But if there's no ribbon, then I'm just going to keep going on and find my new life somewhere else. And so he's, he's getting close. He's coming into town. He's closing his eyes. He's just like, you know, and then the guy's watching. All of a sudden, the guy grabs his leg. It's like, you'll never believe it. He's like, the tree is covered in white ribbons. Isn't that interesting? I wondered for us. You're like, does he, you know, all the things I've done, I've, you know, I've blown it, I've messed up, I've failed. I've got carnage all around me in my life because of poor decisions. And, and, and does God want me to come home? And, and, and Jesus, as he hangs on the cross, he sends a message to us. Yeah, come home. I want you. This is God's mercy. It's discovered in salvation. God sent his son Jesus to enter into our mess. And, and, he, and, and the cross is, a, is, a, is that apple ribbons tried on it saying, come home. There's a plate for you at the table. There's a bed made for you. We've turned back the covers. We, you know, we've got your favorite meal in the oven. I mean, we want you home. And the father cries out to us in mercy and says, man, I love you so much. Come be a part of my forever family. And so we encounter God's mercy and salvation. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we, we recognize that, yeah, you know what, you're like, I, I don't deserve it. Yeah, you don't. But that's what God's love is for us. So great, so merciful that he, he says, yeah, no, no, come in. You, none of you deserve it, but I love you so much. I'm willing to overlook whatever you did and, and to forgive it through Jesus Christ. Come home. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So when you've understood God's salvation for you, you understood he died on the cross, Jesus, for you. He rose again so you could have new life. You say, yeah, I, I enter a relationship with God simply because of his mercy. What a wonderful thing. And then he says, now that mercy is supposed to transform you. It's supposed to make you into a merciful person. McGarvey would say, beatitude as primary reference to the forgiveness of offenses. The forgiving are forgiven. And Jesus would say at the end of the Lord's Prayer, you know, if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, but if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Which is really crazy. Because God says, if you've received mercy, you then become a channel of mercy to others. Now, one of the practical areas where mercy is laid out for us is in the area of forgiveness. The Jews had this thing, the rabbis would say, you, you can forgive someone three times, but after, once they get to the fourth offense, you're off the hook. So Peter comes to Jesus and says, look, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? How about seven times? I'm going to double it and add one, right? That, that's really generous. And, and Jesus is like, no, no, 70 times seven. Like, like, keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving. And let me tell you a story, Peter, just so you can get this. And he tells a story of the unforgiving servant. This... Um, King is making accounts with his subjects, and there's this guy that owes 10,000 talents. You understand, one talent took 20 years to, to gain. So he owes like millions of dollars. He must have bought a bunch of ships, they were sailing, and they all sunk. And now he's, he's on the hawk for all this money because he had all this product or whatever it was. We're not giving those details except that it is an insurmountable sum, a, a sum of money that no ordinary person could ever earn in their, in their lifetime, not even in 10 lifetimes. And he's brought before the king. And I got a picture here. And there he is. And, and there, see his family in the background? 
And the king's like, pay back what you owe. He's like, I can't pay back what you owe. Okay, well then, I'm taking you, I'm taking your wife, I'm taking your children. We're selling you off until you pay off this debt. You're in debt, you know, you're going to be in the debtor's prison. And, and, and you're going to, you know, until it's all paid up. And he's begging and he's pleading. Please don't do this to me, to my family. Please, please, please. And then the king decides to extend mercy to him. Okay. Okay. And he lets him go and he forgives the debt. The guy's like, I'll pay it back, I'll pay it back. But it's all empty words because the king knows there is no living way that he can ever do this. 10,000 talents. He lets him go. He's free. The servant gets out. And on his way, not even a block probably from the past palace of the king, he encounters a fellow servant that owes him some money. A hundred denarii, like three months worth of salary. We're, we're talking a couple thousand in today's terms. I mean, remember, hundreds of millions, a couple thousand. And he grabs the guy. He chokes him. He literally physically puts hands on him and like shakes him. You owe me money. Pay me back what you owe. You know, I'm going to throw you in the debtor's prison if you don't pay me. And the, guy, the guy's asking for mercy. Give me time. And pay it back. No, no, no. You owe me. You owe me. You owe me. You owe me. And he, and he has him committed to prison until he pays off this debt. And some of the other servants have witnessed this whole exchange. They saw the first exchange. They saw the second exchange. They go back to the king and say, you'll never guess what happened. You know that guy, the 150 million guy? He just put a guy in prison for 3,000 bucks. So the king brings him in, and this is what it says in Matthew 18, 32. Then his lord called the first slave and said to him, Evil slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have shown mercy to your slave just as I showed it to you? And in, ang in anger, his lord turned him over to the prison guards to torture him until he repaid all he owed. And you and I, reading the story, realize there is no physical way he'll ever pay this off in his lifetime. He is there till he dies. So also, my heavenly Father will do to you if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. God's got some serious stuff to say about forgiveness, which is tied directly to, to mercy. And he says, if you have come to the cross and discovered the welcome home that, that God offers you, his mercy through Jesus Christ, then you need to become a forgiving person. If you've received this million-dollar payment on your behalf, then God's asking us to forgive those 100,000 know, minor things that are held against us with other people. It is utterly inc inconsistent to receive the gracious forgiveness of God and refuse to forgive another person. Some of you have problems with this. I have problems with this some days. We know that it, it's part of life to be hurt, to be abused, to be taken advantage of, to be betrayed. All of us at some place or another have experienced that. Maybe right now you're experiencing it. And it's hard because you want to hold on to that anger and that bitterness. And the Word of God invites us to find the freedom of forgiveness, to walk in the mercy of God and be a person of mercy, to cut people some slack. 
to not hold on to your pound of flesh. And, and in the end, you find out actually you're holding your own heart in bondage. You refuse to forgive. And God says, blessed are the merciful. Because you say, you know what? I came to the cross. Jesus forgave me. I can forgive the people in my life. Now, um, sometimes that's hard. There are some people that have taken advantage of you, maybe abused you, that have never owned up to that. And, and God's that, uh, inviting you to forgive that person, but he's not inviting you to remain in a relationship with that person. He's just saying, let it go. Give it to me. I will keep track of that for you. You don't need to hold on to that any longer. God wants you to walk in the freedom of forgiveness, not in perpetual victimhood. That doesn't help you. That's bondage. That's the, 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 you know, the person who hurt you holding you captive, holding you, you know, hostage with the bitterness and the anger that comes with that. But forgiveness frees you of that, saying, Lord, I give this person to you, and I'm moving forward, and I trust that you will hold them accountable. And sometime in life, some of that person may turn around and, and, and repent and ask for your forgiveness in person, but, but you have released it already, and you're not carrying that. They're not holding you hostage any longer. You are walking in the freedom of forgiveness. Let me illustrate this for you in this classic story that I've shared here before, but Half of you weren't here when I shared it the first time, so you, you won't remember it even if you were here, but great story which bears to be repeated, uh, and I think you'll get it as you hear the story. It's a story by Corey Ten Boom. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I'd just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. Can you imagine 1947? Like, this is like right fresh after the war. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I'd like to think that, that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and in silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with his skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp <clears throat> beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in her home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me. Hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prison among the thousands of women? But I remembered him. And the leather crop swinging from his belt was face to face with one of my, I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. 
Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives is a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness and remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Now, that's, that's a vivid and graphic account. But I think you get the point. Full are those who, who, who have come to that place where they're able to extend what they have received. And sometimes you do that with just the, the pure obedience to God, even though you don't feel it at the moment. And God invites us to take these steps of forgiveness with one another. Ephesians 4 says this. You must put away every kind of bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, and evil, slanderous talk. You can think of people that you feel this way about right now. Situations in your past, all of you, all of us, too. We have those things. And he says in verse 32, instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Verse 32, I think it's up there. Uh, we, yeah, we don't, you know. Yeah. Just as God in Christ gave you. So here's the lessons. <clears throat> Number one, God is merciful. When we think about being happy and the highway to happiness, Jesus like, blessed are the merciful. He, he's saying, you, and I'm going to show you what this means. There's Jesus on the cross. This is what mercy looks like. There's Jesus on the cross, dying, having been humiliated, having been dragged through in front and throughout all the crowds. Everyone's screaming at him, yelling at him. He's being mistreated by everyone. These, these pagan Roman soldiers are, are, you know, gambling for his clothes. And there he is. And what's Jesus saying on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's mercy. God is merciful. 
Just good theology to understand that, that our mercy comes out of the character of God. We're his children, so we respond mercifully because we've received mercy from God. Number two, uh, God mercifully forgives us become merciful forgivers. It's kind of a, a mouthful, but I just understand like, that God, God extends mercy so that we can continue to extend mercy to the people around us. And some of you are, 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 you know, are, are struggling with that, maybe even right now. You're, you're listening and you're like, man, I, I have a hard time forgiving. But, but having received God's mercy, God invites us to, to extend mercy to those who have sinned against us. And number three, as merciful followers of Jesus, we look for opportunities to serve one another and to help and care for those in need. You know, it changes your perspective. I don't know if you watch the, the Christmas Carol. It's a great, great movie, and especially the Muppet version is my favorite. But at the beginning, it shows Scrooge without any mercy. They're asking for donations, and he's like, yeah, you know, don't we have poor houses? And, you know, well, they're going to die. Well, let's let them do that and, you know, decrease the surplus population. And he just has no heart for people. And then after he has this sort of, you know, his salvation experience, whatever that is in, in the movie, he suddenly comes, you know, he comes awake, and, and he's there, and he's, he's buying food for Bob Cratchit and his family and gifts for people, and he's a different man. Oh, it changes the way he sees life, and the cross is intended to do that. When you experience salvation through Jesus Christ, it should change the way you look at life. You look at people. And then you come into the church and you realize, it's not, I'm not coming to church to get something for myself. I'm actually coming with a mindset of, of, is there someone I could serve today? Is there someone who has a need? Is there, is there something I could do for someone else? It's a whole upside-down approach to life. Life is all about me, 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 me. Like, you know, the happiness is, I do what I want when I want it for my pleasure. And, and then Jesus comes along and says, no, I do things for others because it brings God pleasure and brings me pleasure. When I extend mercy, I experience mercy in my own heart. I recognize that what God's done for me has changed the way that I help others. And sometimes we trip over each other in the church. We trip over each other in our marriages, and our families, but mercy comes through that and says, yeah, we learn to just forgive and, and ride this stream of mercy and forgiveness with one another. And we serve and we care for each other. This is transformative. If we come to church with an idea of how can I serve other people today? How can I help other people? What are the needs around me? It changes the way we, we live, right? We're not thinking, oh, I, I need this. I deserve this. I want this. We're thinking, oh, maybe I can help someone else. Maybe I can help someone else, you know? And it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And, and in that moment, you discover God's mercy afresh because that is the heart of the gospel. It's, it's doing things for others. It's putting others' needs ahead of your own, just like Jesus did. And I can tell you, I mean, story after story of people that, that were so stuck in their own hole because of their own past or whatever their health situation was and just bogged down. But when they got out of that to actually help someone else out, if you could just get them out of that dark place and into just serving others, it was amazing how the, that mercy just came into their soul and, and brought them to a whole new place of happiness. So if you're feeling down, find someone to help out. If you're feeling low, you've you got some troubles in your life, go serve someone. Make some cookies and deliver them. Go, go visit someone at one of the care centers in our house, you know, in our, in our town. Just do something for someone else, and you'll be surprised how that fills your own soul. It's remarkable. So I'm going to invite the team up. They're going to lead us in, in a closing song here. And, um, we used to send that song at camp. Uh, <laughs> freely, freely you have received, freely, freely 
give. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Blessed are the merciful, those who habitually practice forgiveness, compassion, concern in a real way in their real life because they, in turn, receive mercy. As you give it away, God gives it back. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm inviting you to believe in Jesus today, to take that step of faith, to realize that, that the white ribbon is hanging for you. The Father says, come be a part of my forever family. And, and you can do that today. You can just in your heart believe Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the grave so you can be part of God's forever family when you put your faith and believe in him. And then you can experience happiness the way Jesus describes it here. Because it's his disciples that are sitting on the mountain with him. His followers saying, I want you guys to be happy. You can live life at its fullest, happiest level. And that comes when you just accept and embrace this highway to happiness. Would you pray with me? Yes. Let's be close. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for Jesus who offers us forgiveness today through his death and offers us new life through his resurrection. And we pray that we would be reflectors of your mercy in our lives with others. <coughs> and some of our past situations are messy and involve a lot of pain and hurt, but you invite us to, to forgive, to, to give it to you. And, and if there's some here this morning that need to do that, I pray that they would just find your strength your ability to do that today. So they can just lay, lay it on your, your feet. Lord, I, I don't want to carry this burden, this bitterness, this anger any longer. I forgive that person. Even if they're not going to come and ever ask for forgiveness, I give it to you, Lord, because I don't want them to, carry, to come into my, that bitterness to carry my life. So we, we pr I just pray for this, Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's doing that or online. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the needs around us in our church family, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. Help us to be agents of your mercy, demonstrating your love practically to those in need around us. May your Holy Spirit give us attentiveness this week as we walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with the team as we close.